getting ready. You could be out shopping. You could be doing all kinds of stuff right now, but you've chosen to be here. And so for everyone, I just want to say thank you for being here, for making this a priority. And uh, there's no better place that you can be than here right now. And so I just want to say thank you again. And like Peter mentioned, I just want to say thank you for all your support, uh, for allowing us to, to be put on staff, for me to be put on full time. And uh, I'm very undeserving, but I am very grateful. So I just wanted to say thank you very much for your generosity. Uh, my wife and I, we, we really do see this place as our family. And um, because we see you as a family, we wanted to let you know, in on a little bit of a secret that's going on in our life right now. And uh, we found out not too long ago that we're pregnant. Yeah. Well, my wife is pregnant. I'm not pregnant. Um, she's about eight weeks along. Actually, tomorrow will be nine weeks. And uh, we found out the due date is actually July 28th, which is a day before my birthday. So that's exciting. Uh, what an awesome Christmas gift this year that we've been given. So again, uh, thank you so much for your support. And I'm so excited uh, that you're here today because we are in the second part of a series called I Heart. And we're talking about that crazy, powerful, hard to define, hard to explain, yet so essential thing called our heart. And uh, just to clarify, we're not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood throughout your body, okay? I know nothing about that heart. Uh, but we are talking about the other thing that is just as real as the physical heart. In fact, even though you can't cut us open and find something shaped like this in the middle of us, the reality of this heart is so big. And even though you can't see it, even though it's not physical, we feel the physical effects of this heart. You know, this week we went in and had our first ultrasound. And, uh, you know, we went in there and, you know, on the screen you just see this little peanut, you know, right there. <laughs> and it's like, you, it's just the most amazing thing uh, that you can ever experience. And you see this little heart beating, you know, and I, I couldn't help but have this huge smile on my face. And I'm like, yes, it's just like this experience that, man, I'm just so grateful for that I don't want to take for granted. And you can see the physical effects of something that isn't physical. It's what defines us as humans. It's what makes us relational. It's what makes us passionate. It's what makes us personal. I mean, when you see someone's heart break, you can tell, can't you? When you look at their face, something just happens to their expression. You see something happen to their whole body. There's a physical reaction that we have due to this thing called our heart. You know, the heart is so incredibly, incredibly powerful. That's why when somebody gets something stuck in their heart, they could change the world. I mean, think about someone like Martin Luther King, who had a dream stuck in his heart. And what happened? He changed our country. He changed the entire direction of our nation. Because he had a dream stuck in his heart and he gave himself to that dream. And his heart was so powerful that he changed the world. Our hearts are amazingly powerful and that's why we're talking about them. Because if we can discover just a little bit of how our hearts work, if we can just harness what our hearts were meant to be and understand how they were meant to function, there is no telling where we could end up or what we can accomplish or where our lives can go. And so today I want to begin by putting a statement up here that I want to look at for a little while because this is such an interesting statement 
to me. It's a statement that you've probably heard at some point in your life when you were making a big decision. Maybe it was a decision uh, where you were really wrestling with, you know, should I be in this relationship or should I not? Uh, you know, should I take this job or should I go to this school? Should I get my you know, family and move them here? I mean, what should I do in this situation? And the question or the, the statement that people usually throw your way thinking it's one of the most supportive things that they can ever say to you is this. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. I mean, isn't that just so supportive? I want to hear that. Just follow your heart. Hey, what is your heart telling you to do? And then just go do it. Because if you follow what your heart's telling you to do, then everything's going to turn out perfectly, right? I don't know about that. You know why? Because I've discovered that what my heart tells me sometimes might not be the best thing for me. In fact, you know what my heart has probably told me a couple times? Punch him. Yeah, seriously, I'm, I'm, si I'm sitting there maybe with a teen. I'm, okay, I'm, I never hit your teens, okay? I would never do that. But I'm sitting there with this person and they're going on and they're going on and on and on and, and something in me just comes up. And I'm a nice guy, you know, I really am. I mean, I really don't want to hurt anybody. I'm a nice guy, okay? But there's something in me that just says that my heart tells me, hey, if you follow me, punch him. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? What is that? If I were to just follow my heart, I could get into some serious trouble. I could get fired, right? And I just started. You know, if I followed my heart every morning, and this may be hard to believe about me, okay, but uh, some mornings when I wake up, you know what my heart tells me? Stay in bed, right? You don't need to go to that meeting. Just stay in bed. That's what my heart tells me sometimes. I mean, you don't want to know what would happen if we followed everything our hearts told us to do. I mean, that's why you look back at some relationships in your life and you think, what in the world was I thinking? I liked her? Him? Really? I really liked him? And then if we, if we would have recorded what you had said at that time and what you had felt at that time, you would have been like, he's the one, right? <laughs> and follow your heart. That's a delayed reaction, but it's all good. You know, follow your heart may not have been the best advice for you, especially if you're the parent of a 16-year-old girl and she meets this guy and she's like, he's the one. If any punk told your daughter to follow her heart, you know what you would do? Follow your heart, right? That's what you would do. I mean, this is serious. We don't want to follow our hearts because there are times when there's a part of our heart that is just completely emotional. There's a side of our hearts that just jumps to this thing and it jumps to that thing. And if we were to just follow everything that our heart told us to do, we could get into trouble. We know that. And so I want to put a picture of our heart up here. Okay, and just so you know, this is anatomically accurate. This is how this side of your heart actually looks. Okay, I'm kidding. But I think if I were to sit down with you, if we were to sit down together and we were to have a conversation, I think that we would probably agree that there is a side of your heart that is emotional, right? I mean, this is why we feel. 
This is how we feel. This is the reason why we feel things sometimes that we just can't quite explain because there's a side of our heart that is just emotional. But here's the thing. There's another side of our heart that's not just emotional. It's decisional. It's decisional. If this side of our heart has to do with our feelings, then this side of our heart has to do with our will, our choices. It has to do with what we have decided to do. I don't only love my wife because I'm attracted to her. I don't only love my wife because I have feelings for her. I love my wife because I'm devoted to her, because I am committed to my wife. So there are two very clear sides of our hearts. The emotional side is very passive, and it's the reason why we say things like, I fell in love. Did you decide that? Nope, I just tripped and fell in love, right? <laughs> I mean, there I was in the room, and then she walked in, and the light changed, and the music stopped, and everybody just disappeared. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, it was love at first sight. Well, did you decide that? Nope. It was love at first sight. I just tripped and I fell in love. This side of our heart is, is so passive and it's reactive. It's reactive, meaning it reacts to what's going on around us. It's the reason why when a bride walks down the aisle and she sees her groom standing there and she's been dreaming about this day her whole life, what happens? Sometimes you see that tear coming down her face. Did she decide on that? Okay, somebody cue the tear. It's gonna be perfect for the video, right? Nobody's doing that. No, it's a reaction. It's a reaction to the emotion of a day and it causes her to have this physical response. The emotional side of our heart is reactive and it's driven by what we're attracted to, okay? It's driven by what we're attracted to. This side of our heart is very real and I want us to acknowledge it because so often we don't acknowledge that our hearts feel things. And the truth is that your heart and that my heart feels. And sometimes we can't control the things that our heart feel. We can't always control that. Now the other side of your heart is, is decisional. I almost said delusional. It's that sometimes. <laughs> but the other side of your heart is decisional, which is where you make decisions, right? This is a side of a heart that's not reactive, but it's active. And it's where, we, where, where words like I promise come in. This is where you decide to do something. If you're married, this is where your marriage vows come from. I take you to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This side of our heart is active and it's where we make our decisions, our promises, and our commitments. And the reality is that both of these sides are incredibly important. Both of these sides of your heart are incredibly, incredibly real. We cannot deny the fact that sometimes we feel things that are just there. And we cannot deny that sometimes we are just committed to doing certain things, like being a great father or being a, being a great husband. There's things that we are committed to. Now, the reason I want you to know this and the reason why I've set you up with all this stuff is because I have a question for you. 
It's a question that I face all the time. And if you have a heart, you will come up against this question because there are two sides of your heart. Because there's an emotional side to your heart and because there's a decisional side of your heart, at some point in your life, you will come up against this question. And here it is. What do you do? What do you do when what you're attracted to begins to steal from what you're committed to? What do you do when what you're attracted to begins to steal from what you're committed to? What do you do when your emotions begin to pull you in a direction that your will doesn't want to go? What do you do when you're committed to living a certain way and suddenly your heart wants something completely different and you can't deny it? You can't deny it because you feel what you feel. What do you do? What do you do when this is going on in your heart? Here's what I mean. What if you're committed to being a person of character? You're committed to being a person of character and you desire to live your life according to certain things that you want to do the right way. Maybe you've decided that you want to follow Jesus. You said Jesus is Lord and I want to become a disciple. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're not sure what you believe. You're not even sure if you believe this, this book right here, the Bible. You're not sure. But wherever you are, you want to live your life the right way. And then a decision comes up. And your heart responds to this decision. And it looks so fun. And you begin to feel this tension in your heart between what you're attracted to and what you've committed to do. Maybe it's a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. It's a relationship that you know you shouldn't go down that road, but there's something in you that just wants that acceptance. You just want that status and that excitement and you look at that and it just feels so good. But you're committed to doing it Right, or you're committed to having a dating relationship that is sexually pure. And then you meet this guy and oh my goodness, he is beautifully handsome, right? He, and not only is he so good looking, but he's rich. And he's like an angel when he speaks. And he seems to say all the right things to get your heart start beating. And then you discover that his standards are not the same as your standards. And as good as it feels after a while, it's not only him that wants to take it further, but your own heart wants to take it further. What do you do when one side of your heart is committed to being pure and the other side of your heart is screaming, no one does that anymore. No one does that anymore. You don't have to do that. I mean, what do you do? What do you do if you're a father and you're committed to being a father that's there for your kids? You've committed to being a father who spends time with his his kids because by giving them your time, you're giving them your love. By giving them your time, you're giving them security. And you know that's what you've committed to, but then one day you get this amazing opportunity at work. And and your heart is like, yes. I mean, you have the opportunity to make so much more money, but then you look at your kids 
and you realize that if you take this opportunity, it might take you away from home more. What do you do in that situation? What do you do? What do you do if you're married and you're living in your marriage and you love him and and you're committed to him and you love her? But over the last few months or years, things have kind of gotten a little tiring. Things have kind of gotten a little hard. I mean, those things that you used to just see past have now become kind of irritating. And those differences now cause you to bump heads more than they used to. And the feeling is no longer there. I mean, you're committed. I mean, you come home, but it's not fun. You're no longer attracted to this person. You no longer want to serve them. You no longer want to give your time to them. And people usually tell you, just muscle through it, right? Just muscle through it. I mean, that's not inspiring. I mean, what if I woke up every morning and told my wife, honey, I'm muscling through being married with you. I mean, how uninspiring would that be? I mean, yes, there's times where we just got to muscle through it, but we don't want to live that way. It's not fun. What, what do you do with that? I mean, if I could be honest with you for a second, if I could be real, is that, is that okay? You know, uh, for the last three and a half years, I've been serving our teen ministry. That's our high school students, this group up here up front. And I love doing what I get to do. I say that every time I get up here. I cannot express enough my gratitude to work with them. It's become one of my greatest passions in life is to serve this group and to help you as parents guide them towards a relationship with God. But this coming January, I'm wrapping up school and I'm getting my bachelor's degree in accounting. Okay, not counting, I know how to count, okay? (laughs) Accounting, Uh, my business degree. And you know what my hearts began to kind of tell me? You can get a job making so much more money doing that. I mean, you could have the house, you can have the car. I mean, your wife could stay home and take care of the child. I mean, you could have whatever you want. I mean, you can make so much more money than what you're doing now. And I've felt this tension in my own heart between what I'm committed to and what I'm devoted to and what I love doing. But my heart is kind of stealing it away a little bit. What do you do with that? Is there a way to fix that? And if you're living in a place right now where something is busy attracting you away from something that you're committed to, then here's the deal. Eventually something has to give. Something has to give. Either you will miss out on that precious thing that you are committed to because following your heart will always lead you to a place of pain for you and for those around you. Either that will happen or you will live a miserably committed life. And no one wants that. You don't want that. So what do you do when that's the case? What do you do when you have these two sides of your heart wrestling with one another? What do you do? Now I'm so glad that this isn't my problem only, okay? Maybe this is your problem. Maybe you've felt this at some point. And all throughout history, People have faced this thing because every human being has a heart. And every human being faces the tension between what we're attracted to and what we are committed to. And the good news is that some people have actually figured out how to bring both sides of their heart 
back together. In fact, there's a man in the Old Testament, you might have heard of him. His name is Moses, right? Kind of a big deal in the Old Testament. And Moses felt this tension. And he struggled with this tension for 40 years of his life. And somehow he discovered the secret that helped him bring what he was attracted to back in line with what he was committed to. And it's amazing. And we can learn, if we can learn that from him, it could change our life. If we can apply this, it can change our life. Now I'm going to warn you, okay? I'm going to warn you. When I tell you, when you find out what this answer is, you're going to think I wasted your time for the last 15 minutes, okay? And, 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 and I'm just warning you now so that you don't get mad at me, okay? But I'm going to show you something. And I think that if you can learn how to apply this to your life, if you can practice this one principle, it could change everything for you. And so uh, I want to quickly look at a portion of Moses' life. And uh, we're not going to be in the Old Testament when Moses lived. We're actually going to be in the New Testament. Uh, when an author is kind of commentating on the life of Moses. And he shared with us the simple secret that helped Moses bring both, of his, both parts of his heart back in line. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's going to be up here on the screen in a moment. And for those of you who are here and you don't really know the details of Moses' life, I mean, I don't want to just assume that you know. And so I want to kind of fill you in. Moses was actually born into, uh, born into a time where the Jews were slaves in Egypt. The Jews, his people were slaves in the country of Egypt. And he was born into a time where Pharaoh hated the Jews more than any other time. And he hated him so much that Pharaoh actually signed an edict that declared for all the male ch children of the Jews to be killed. And so when he was born, Moses should have been killed. But through a miracle, when he was three months old, his mom and his dad, they put him in a basket and they put him into the Nile River. And God somehow guided him down to none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And she took him in and she adopted him despite the edict that her father had sent out. So that puts us in a place where the emotional side of Moses' heart begins to be stimulated because he lived in the palace. Anything that Moses could ever want, he could have. He could have all the money. He could have all the possessions. He could have the coolest chariot. He could have anything that he could ever want. And his heart was attracted to all that stuff. And he liked it. He liked it. But the thing about Moses is that he knew that he was Jewish. He knew that he wasn't an Egyptian. He knew that he was a Jew. And he knew that God promised the Israelites that they wouldn't be slaves forever. But that they would someday become a nation. And Moses was committed to that. He was committed to that. And so there was this one side of his heart that knew that God promised us a nation. God promised us a home and a blessing. Yet this just feels so good. And for 40 years, Moses lived with the separation of what his heart was committed to and what his heart was attracted to. And eventually, 
Something had to give because he couldn't live like that. And guess what? You can't live like that either. And eventually something had to give. And what gave for Moses was this simple answer that allowed him to bring his emotional side of his heart back in line with his commitment. And I want to show you, how did he do that? I mean, I want to show you this. And so we're looking here in Hebrews 11, verse 24. We'll pick up. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, who would do that? Honestly, who would do that? I mean, Moses could have anything that his heart could ever want, anything that his heart could ever desire, and he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, why? Doesn't that feel better, Moses? I mean, why would you do that? And it says in verse 25, he chose. That's the decisional side of our heart. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy, which is the emotional side. Rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose to be identified with slaves and to be mistreated as a slave instead of being the son of a king. How did he do that? Why would he do that? He made a decision that pulled his heart away from what he was attracted to because he knew that wasn't who he was. And if he were to live that life, it would have been a life of sin for him. That's why he chose to go away from that rather than enjoying the temporary pleasures of sin. What about you? And if you're here today and you don't know why you're here, what your purpose, what you're meant to be, I want to encourage you to find that out. Or if you're struggling with your commitment as a disciple and you're teetering, you need to realize that by living a life that's not in line with what God has in plan for you, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not a good thing. But how did he do that? How did he do that? And the next verse shows us how in verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, meaning the Messiah, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Now, how do you regard disgrace as of greater value? How do you regard suffering as of greater value? In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying that Moses liked the disgrace more than he liked the treasures of Egypt. More than anything that he could have been offered in Egypt. I mean, how is that? How is he attracted more to the suffering more than he is to the treasures of Egypt? How did he do that? Because he was looking ahead. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Really, Mike? That's it? I mean, you've been talking to us for the last 20, 25 minutes, and that's all you got for us today? That's it? You see, looking ahead changes your heart because when you're only focused on the now, the sacrifice of my commitment does not feel good. It never feels good. And the attractions of my heart will always feel better 
when I'm focused on the now, nobody likes how hard that is. Nobody likes how hard it is to fix the problems in your marriage. Nobody likes how hard it is to fix your problems financially. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. No one likes the sacrifice part. No one does. But when I'm focused on the now, I'm always going to have a hard time with that. So what is the secret? The secret is don't look at the now. Don't look at the now. Nobody likes that. But if you're looking at, at the now, you will never make it. You will never make it. You will never like it. But if you take a step back and you look ahead to the reward, if you take a step back and you look ahead to the promise, to the sacrifice, when you're looking ahead, then you begin to see, you begin to feel the joy that comes from that commitment. And oh my goodness, that picture, it looks way better there. You know, when I think about my marriage and I think way down the line, when my wife and I are old and gray and I'm probably balding a little bit, okay? Not, nothing wrong with that. I'm going to embrace it, okay? <laughs> and I look at us and we're probably a little overweight or at least she's not overweight. She's perfect and, and I'm, I'm a little bit overweight. But we're holding hands and we're laughing and we're loving each other. When I'm looking at that, the difficult times that I feel right now of serving her and figuring out how to do that, it actually becomes attractive. It becomes attractive because I'm looking ahead to that crazy, cool, awesome picture. And I'm not just looking at the now. And when I look ahead at that picture, then what I'm attracted to there completely overwhelms the silly attractions of my heart now. Does it feel good in the moment? No, it never does. But when I look ahead, it begins to feel awesome because what my heart is attracted to is not as important as what I see in the future. It's not as important. Looking ahead creates this emotion in us that says, I love doing this. I love doing this. Looking ahead is such a powerful principle, even though I'm facing this tension in my life right now between what I'm doing as a, as a minister and what I'm getting my degree in. When I take a look at the future, there's no, there's no comparison. Yeah, there could be more money there, but you know what? What I'm doing right now is so much more important. What I'm giving my life to right now is far more reaching than anything I will ever do as an accountant. And when I look at that picture, there's no comparison. And what, I, and what I'm doing right now becomes attractive. And my heart falls in line with that. When I'm looking ahead, my heart begins to follow. When I'm looking ahead, the story I want to tell, I begin to be overwhelmed with the emotion for what it is that I want to do. So what do you do? What do you do when what you're attracted to begins to steal from what you're committed to? Look ahead. Look ahead. Take this time out. Step back and look ahead to the reward that your heart and your heart will follow. And if you're here today and you're sitting on a decision right now that's a financial thing, 
that's a marriage thing, that's a relationship thing, that if you're here today and you're contemplating whether you wanna come back to church or not, whether you still wanna be a follower of Jesus or not, and you're going, man, this would be so much easier. I mean, this feels so good. I want you to take a time out and I want you to look at where both of those paths lead into the future. And I want you to ask yourself, which one of those is more attractive then? Which one is more attractive there? Which option feels better there? And you know what happens? You begin to feel the joy of your commitment because you know it's going to something greater. You know that it's so much more. And this principle of looking ahead is so powerful. And the truth is you will always have things in your life that are gonna attract you away from your commitments. There's no way of getting around that. But when you're looking ahead, this overwhelming emotion will be, I want this. I don't have to do this. I want this. And that's when we will find unity in our hearts. And no matter what you believe today, if you do this, it can change your life. And so that going back to Moses' story, it closes out. It says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invincible. You see, looking ahead to the reward is one thing. Looking ahead to the rewarder is another. When our hearts are attracted to something that we're not committed to and it feels like it's just tearing us apart, what do we do? Well, the answer is simple. Take a time out, step back and look ahead to the reward and the rewarder. The one who is calling you to a life that really is more. The one that's calling you to a life that means so much more. And if you can do that, your heart will change and you will find unity once again. And that's how we want to live. That's the marriage we want. That's the relationships we want. That's the life that we want. So as we get ready to take communion this morning, I want to take you to a night. I want to take you to this night where Jesus was contemplating and he was preparing himself to go to the cross. And on this night, he's with three of his friends and he's just so overwhelmed with what he's feeling. He's so overwhelmed with this idea that he's gonna give his life. That it says in Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. God, this doesn't feel good right now. I don't want to do this. What I'm committed to doesn't feel good. And I want something else. But as I look at your will, I want what you want. Because as I look ahead, Father, I see that the impact there is so much greater than if I were to walk away right now. As he looked ahead and he saw you, he saw the joy that came from that commitment. And he says, I want what you want, not what I want. And so as we take communion this morning, I want you to remember Jesus like you've never remembered him before because he felt that same tension in his heart. And yet he decided to stay true 
to what he was committed to. And how grateful are you? And how grateful am I that he went through with that decision that night? We wouldn't be here. Let's go ahead and pray for the communion. Father, thank you so much. Uh, We have so much to be grateful for. And I know that there are times in our walks with you, and and if we're here today and we don't have a relationship with you, I know that there's times in our life that are are just hard. God, and there's an easy way out. Or there's things that attract us away from the things that we're committed to. And I pray that in those moments that we can set our hearts and look ahead. And I know that just sounds... It's not as powerful, but it is. If we can just focus our hearts on what lies ahead, our hearts will change. God, help us to fix our eyes on you, to fix our eyes on what lies ahead. Help us to fix our eyes on heaven, the reward. God, thank you so much. We love you with all of our hearts and it's in your son's name that we pray, amen.